This episode of A Little Juju Podcast is brought to you by The Hour. The Hour is a lifestyle brand that offers a wide range of products from herbal workings to unique designer fashions. All of the herbal workings are handcrafted and bathed in good juju by its creator, Mama Zodi. So run on over to their site and sign up to be notified of when their limited edition fashion drops happen. And this is a side note. They ain't paying me to say this, but the stuff is cute that they got coming. <laughs> their site is www.thehourll.com. And that's three lowercase l's to make the Roman numeral three. So it's the hour three. And also check out their Instagram at the underscore hour LLL. All you need is a little juju. This episode was truly made possible by Saint Anthony, the patron saint of lost items. So I had to shout him out before I got into it. So thank you, Saint Anthony. Okay, let's go. All you need is a little juju. Hello, 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 and welcome to A Little Juju Podcast. This podcast is all about black ass spirituality, honoring our ancestors, honoring ourselves, and reconnecting to indigenous ways of living and being in the 21st century. So here's A Little Juju. We are decolonizing our spiritual practices one episode at a time on our path to freedom. I believe in liberation, and I believe that our ancestors will lead us there. <laughs> Not me. Y'all know. Y'all, y'all spice it up. <laughs> I was like, but um, hi everybody. I'm your host, Juju. And I come to this podcast from my experience as a medium, a hoodoo, an Orisha devotee, a Pesabi, and a all-around bad bitch, which, you know, some people may call me Reverend Pastor Jew. You feel me? I'm a minister. Um, I, I do weddings. By the way, I I did uh, officiate my first wedding this past summer, and I have another wedding next year. So feel free to hit me up on the website, www.itsjujubay.com, about officiating. (laughs) But anyway, if you would like to keep up with that conversation, hashtag a little juju podcast, or to shorten it, hashtag ALJpod on Twitter, on Instagram. You can see other folks who are listening to the show and uh, maybe, maybe connect with some people. Now, if you are interested in me speaking at your school, conference, keynotes, vibes, um, you know, you can always talk to your program coordinator at your school and also hit me up on my website. It's jujubay.com. There's a little, you know, sheet to fill out that goes to my email. Um, so, yeah, that's how you can can request some services from me. Oh, I didn't say I was a Reiki practitioner. Also, I'm a Reiki practitioner. Mm-hmm. So let's drop the intro, shall we? All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. A little juju. A little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Camfer no say. And I'll never get play. I'll take your photo to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from my bay to make them stay. Cause I hate when bay leaves. But I manifest a little with my bay leaves. 
I'm my ancestors, baby. So I give them everything that they gave me, yeah. So I can't be stopped. Manifested everything, give me props. I'm spiritually rounded while I'm on the top. My spirit's surrounded, so I'll never drop, drop. Now, um, hi. Hi, everyone. I feel a little frazzled <laughs> right now. I don't know why. It's early, I guess. I mean, not early, but it's still in the morning when I'm recording this. And I've just had a lot of like, um, not blockages, but things in the way of me trying to record. I couldn't find a piece that I needed for my mic this morning. Like stuff is just a little, a little wonky today, but we're here. We're queer. You know, we're, we're getting it done. It's fine. Um, so I hope that y'all are doing well. I'm doing well. I am well. My personal life is well. My spiritual life is going well. Um, I am in a birthing period. Actually, no, I'm not birthing yet. I feel like I'm pregnant, but like pregnant with ideas, pregnant with new possibilities, pregnant with some new energy. I have not birthed it yet because I'm having... I'm going through the pregnancy right now. The the baby's growing, developing, doing this thing. I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to prepare for the baby, you know? And I'm not even being like, I'm not talking around anything right now. There's literally nothing happening, but I feel pregnant. <laughs> so that is kind of a little bit of the energy that I've just been carrying. Um, so, yeah, I'm, yeah, that's what I've been feeling. Pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. Uh, Y'all will be happy to know that I have some classes coming up. So when you all hear this, yeah, this class won't have happened. November 27th is Hoodoo 101. I know a lot of folks came to my first Hoodoo 101 class last year. Oh, it might have been two years ago now that I did with Catlin Books. But I'm doing another one on November 27th. So... Get your ticks. Let me see. Okay, yes, you will hear this. Okay, it'll be okay. Y'all can still get your tickets when this episode drops. I'm also doing an Orisha class, I think, but that will be in December. But we just had to change the date, so I'm not sure when that'll be. If I know, I will have that in the show notes as well. And then on December 23rd, I'm doing a Hoodoo, a New Year's Hoodoo class with Catlin Books as well. So I have three classes coming up, technically four, but when y'all hear this, I will have already finished a, show, uh, a class. So I'm not going to talk about that one, but it is with Nova Network, which I do th- believe that you all should support. Um and become a member of the Nova family. If you're not familiar, if you want to know more about Nova, you should check out the episode with Ahime and Gary because um, those are my co-teachers and we talk all about what Nova is and what our classes are on. So there'll be another one um, later in the year. But anyway, um, I think, oh, another church announcement is, okay, this episode is coming out this Wednesday and you know, this is a bi-weekly podcast, but I'm going to be doing another episode the following Wednesday. So you get a little back-to-back juju because um, I'm going to take off for the month of December um, for now. So I might, there, there will be one more, one more episode. It'll be a December episode. And then I'm going to take off for the rest of that month. I think just a month for now, but I wanted to let y'all know because sometimes I just be taking breaks and I don't say anything because I just be needing breaks. 
but this break is planned. <laughs> so um, we'll get a little back-to-back juju and then a little break so y'all can enjoy your December and all the things with that. So without further ado, oh, you know what? I wanted to share something with y'all. This is, ouch, I just bit my tongue. (laughs) This is your friendly reminder to trust your own self. Trust your intuition. Trust what feels right for you. And it is not always going to be what other people feel is right for you. Even when those people mean well and that their advice is not bad. Sometimes other people's advices and just suggestions, we we take them into account because we love counsel, okay? We love advice. But sometimes it fucks with your own intuition to where you start making choices that actually don't even feel like you because you're doing the right thing because what someone else said you know, cognitively makes sense, but it's really not what you're supposed to be doing or it doesn't resonate with your spirit. So trust yourself, trust your own judgment, trust your own inner knowing and guidance. Because again, people mean well, but sometimes that's just not your path. That's not what you're supposed to do. And I've been learning that lesson over and over and over again. And sometimes I get confused because people are telling me things and, again, meaning well, wanting the best for me, people who love and care about me. But I'm like, I don't know. That's just not really vibing with what I feel. So now I'm confused when I'm making the choice. I'm like, I'm going to do something wrong because I should blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no. So this is just your friendly reminder to trust yourself that you know that there's somewhere deep inside you that knows. And if it's not vibing, that's with anything. That's if I tell you to do something on your altar, or I don't, I wouldn't tell you, but I, I make suggestions or I talk about things that I do. And you're like, mm, I don't know. My, I don't think my spirits want that. Baby, don't do it. Please. <laughs> you know, D- trust yourself. You know. So take a deep breath. <sighs> and then ask yourself, does this make sense for me? If yes, go ahead. If not, don't do it. Okay, that's all I want to share. Let's get into donations so we can talk about how to continue to get these wonderful random tidbits and gems from yours truly. <laughs> oh, 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 I knew it was something else. I have merch coming out. And when you all listen to this, I think the merch will be out maybe the next day <laughs> um, or it could be out for my patrons. I'm not sure yet. But don't forget to sign up to my newsletter. If you go to my website, you can just stay up to date with the things I've got going on. I talk about class announcements and also my clothing and accessories and things we have coming. So I can't believe I forgot to say that. But yes, get on the newsletter. Follow me on the Instagram and everything. It's Juju Bay. So you know what's dropping in Juju Land. All you need is a little Juju. A Little Juju podcast is written, hosted, and crafted by me, Juju. And this process is a labor of love, but it is labor nonetheless because podcasting is not free. It takes time, money, and resources to produce this show for you, which is why contributions are so important. And there are a few ways to donate to the show, both monetarily and non-monetarily. So monetarily, the first way I'll mention is through Patreon. So Patreon is a way that you can contribute to the show monthly. So on the first, around the first of every month, Patreon automatically takes out whatever you choose to donate 
donate ranging from $1 to a million dollars, as many dollars as you like. And uh, this is simply to help support a little juju podcast. But depending on your level of donation, you may get a few extras. I'm thinking ebooks, classes, discounts, updates, tutorials. My patrons know it's a lot of different things going on in there. And that is a wonderful way to be in a committal support system with the podcast. Now, if that's a little too much for you, you're not ready for that, understood. You can always just hit me up on the Cash App, dollar sign, I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E, or on Venmo, it's Jujubay, or through PayPal at paypal.me slash J-U-J-U-B-A-E. And for the non-committal ways to donate, that is shouting the show out. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your homie, tell your lover, tell your sister, tell your brother. Tell everyone about a little Juju podcast who you think would benefit. Shout me out. Repost the episodes when they come out. Just spread, help spread the good Juju gospel. Also subscribe, rate five stars on Apple Podcasts. Say, I love this podcast. It's really helped me so much. Those are all the ways that I really, really appreciate and also help contribute to the show. So big, big shout out to my newest patrons. Uh, shout out to Octavia Winston. Thank you, Octavia. Shout out to Anaya Big shout out to Natasha Campbell, Respectful Cicada, Danielle Matthews, Charlene Moore, Missy Chuck. Thank you all so, so much for becoming patrons. I appreciate you. I need you, honey. And I am sharing the energy of abundance and wealth and prosperity with you as you share it with me. I thank you for pouring into this podcast. I thank you for pouring into this work. I thank you for supporting me. Um, I pray that whatever work, service, creative endeavor that you have, I pray that you're able to accomplish that and that you have the resources to be able to do so, the emotional resources, the financial resources, whatever resources that you need, I pray that you have it. Thank you for sharing it with me. I'm sending it back to you tenfold, 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 tenfold. So big consensual hugs for me. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate everyone who pours into the show. All you need is a little juju. So our first segment today on our solo dolo sold is She Reads. And so this is where I read spiritual books, articles, and ideas manifested through the power of written word, honey. Words are spells. So, oh, maybe I should call the segment Words Are Spells. Mm, or like Words Are Works. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's giving... Okay, it's not she reads, it's, it's words, words or spells, words or spells. So this is where we'll cover things that I read that are interesting to me that I want to share. So today in our words or spells, I read an online article, online publication called A Tender Thing. And it is a publication that is published by The Contemporary, which is a nomadic museum that either is in Baltimore or was in Baltimore. I'm not sure. Maybe was in Baltimore. Um, and it was produced by the interns of The Contemporary, which include Iris Lee, Jenna Porter, and my friend, Shan Wallace. And Shan is, hey, Shan. Shane is the one who told me about this article and was like, you need to read it. You know, you need to read a particular story in it. And um, Shane is also an amazing uh, artist in the city in Baltimore, an amazing uh, 
friend, uh, photographer, just does like a lot of really powerful archival work in Baltimore. And, you know, archival work, shout out to all the photographers and people that are capturing moments in history forever. Um, pictures are such a big part of ancestral veneration, such a big part of ancestral work, such a big part of uplifting spirits. It's so nice when we're able to, you know, we don't always have pictures of our loved ones and family, but when we do, it's always nice to imagine what they could have looked like or what they did look like when we can look at their pictures and, and see how they felt and, and learn a lot about them from photos. So shout out to all the, all the photographers and, and shout out to Shan. So anyway, I was reading their publication, and so I was reading, they call them scrolls, so this was scroll four, and there's a story or an uh, interview from scroll four called Listen, Sweetie, and it's a dialogue between Joyce J. Scott and Morgan Monsieur on legacy, artificial barriers, and voodoo, and so Joyce Scott is an artist that is based in Baltimore. Um, Morgan Monsieur is now an honored ancestor. He passed since this article came out, I think in like 2017 or 18. So he's an honorable ancestor, but was a painter. Um, And Joyce Scott is a jewelry maker, a sculptor. She does a lot of amazing work with beads. I will put her information and and Morgan's Monsieur's in the show notes because their work is just phenomenal. So this interview was really just a conversation of two elders. You know how black people, black elders be, they just be talking, (laughs) you know, they just be talking about stuff. Um, but Shan really wanted me to read this one. And so I was reading and it was so interesting. Uh, it was a lot of Joyce, um, Scott asking Morgan Monsieur questions just about his work and about identity. And, you know, one of the first things that Morgan Monsieur talks about is him being Creole and, and, and Creoleness. And before I even get too deep into like just some certain pieces of the, the, um, dialogue that I really liked thinking about Creoleness to me is interesting because one I mean I'm not Creole too I don't know many Creole people uh because and being Creole is interesting because it's a very specific kind of experience that some people would label black but some people would label not black like Creoleness is its own subcategory and for those of you who don't know what being Creole is, um, specifically I'm talking about Louisiana Creoles. So they're people who are descended from inhabitants of, you know, colonial Louisiana before it became part of the U S during the period of French and Spanish rule. And as an ethnic group, their ancestry is mainly African, French, Spanish, and native American. Um, so it's a mix of different ethnic groups that has created sort of its own identity and sometimes even racialized group. Now being Creole and they talked about this in the article, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're light skin or that you look white or that you look black or that you identify as either. I mean, some people identify as black Creole. Some people don't, um, you don't have to be black to be Creole. It's, it's very like layered based on what I understand and they talked about that a little bit in their dialogue, but I just I just think a lot about what it means to be Creole. And as someone who is not Creole, the 
when the ideas that I have when someone says that they are Creole, so I automatically imagine, okay, they're light skinned, okay, they are they look quote unquote mixed, right? You know, that's not politically correct. But y'all know what the fuck I mean <laughs> when people look mixed. So they're quote I'm doing air quotes. You know, they looked they look mixed. Um and it's not it's not necessarily that because Morgan Montu looks like a black man and someone who is not Creole. So Creole expands farther than probably those of us who aren't Creole imagine what it means to be Creole. But again, I don't know. If you Creole listening, you like, girl, what is you saying? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not Creole. I've done my little research and I know that it's a lot of things to a lot of different people, which is interesting to me because it is its own subcategory of blackness, if you want to consider it that. And it's, a, it's, it's different stories being told of what it means to be Creole. And we'll talk about that a little bit later because we're talking about Marie Laveau today, who was a Creole woman. Um, but anyway, on page 46 of the publication, um, they were talking about voodoo and how voodoo sort of shows up in, in Morgan Monsu's artwork because uh, Joyce was kind of asking him like, okay, you know, you say you practice voodoo, like, does that show up in your art? And he's like, yeah, you know, it's not separate from my painting. My voodoo is in my painting. Let me actually read a quote that I thought was nice. So how they got on the topic of voodoo, because they were talking about everything. You know how black elders be, just be talking. And uh, Morgan Montu was actually talking about a time in his life where he was sexually assaulted in church by some other boys. And sounds like brutally assaulted sexually and you know he told his mom and his mom came in and I believe talked to like the pastor of the church and was like if I see those boys I'm gonna kill them because they hurt my child and he he talks about growing up with that kind of attitude of knowing that someone, you could just end somebody, right? And not because you have to fight, but because you have voodoo. <laughs> so I'm going to read the quote. This is Morgan Monsu talking. He said, I grew up under that attitude. Fuck with me, snaps. I'm not going to touch you. I learned the easy way. I ain't going to put my hands on you because if you put your hands on somebody, you're bound for jail. So I just use another route, voodoo. It's a religion that's based on African faith of Vodun, using Haitian crossover because a lot of Haitian slaves came to the ports of New Orleans. It's not, quote unquote, black magic. Don't ever get it confused. It's using the power of nature and the divine and being able to pull that together in one spot. Getting the ancestors to help you channel that power, the power of nature, because everything is energy. God is energy. God is neither male nor female. It's just an energy. And then he goes on to talk about um, his pieces and his work. But I think that part and what um, our elevated, our honorable ancestor Morgan Monsu is saying is something that I try to really push out a lot. Like voodoo, hoodoo, our traditions give us a power and a freedom to be able to make a choice. It is our own um, because we can't often rely on police. We can't often 
rely on other people to intervene in the ways that we need them to. We can't even always rely on our protection, particularly as black people, as brown people. And so what do we have? We have the power of spirits. We have the power of our ancestors to intervene in if something terrible happens to us, if we are victims of assault, if we are victims or survivors of any type of violences, we have to remember and reclaim that we have tools. We have tools. It's like, um, what they call it? Like street like community, ugh, I can't think of the word, but basically like we, we have a, we have responses, <laughs> like we have spiritual responses to things that go on. We have power to do that. And so I really appreciated him saying that. Um, and then him also talking about it in, in his work. There's another part in the article that I really like. And I love it because I don't talk much about art. I don't think on the show and art is such a important aspect of spiritual work. And like I was saying earlier, ancestral veneration. And so Joyce is asking uh, Mansu, she's like, well, well, is voodoo used to get you through life in a good way? And he says, I see it happening every day of my life. I've seen doors open that I'm not supposed to go into, but they open around me as I'm walking down because there's a light at the end that I'm supposed to go into. That's when I'm working. And she says, how does painting come into any of this? He said, it's my sermons. I'm still preaching, honey. So painting is a form of preaching. It's the way that I preach, being able to be an ex- exegesis to tell the truth, to speak it as God has put it forth. And it it kind of goes on to, and this is on page 49, what I was just reading. And I, I, first of all, I recommend y'all read the whole thing, especially if you're an artist. But I love this part about voodoo in spiritual work, showing up in painting, it's showing up in photography, it's showing up in art. You know, we don't always have these practices to, you know, work roots on somebody or make someone love us or, you know, even intervene violence. Those are all wonderful, powerful things, but sometimes it's just used to make art. Um, Or sometimes the art is the intervention. Sometimes it's just used to make a way. If you are an amazing painter or you are an amazing artist, you're using, you can use your hoodoo, your voodoo, your whatever, your practice to have more people look at your art, to have people buy your art, to get into a gallery that you never thought that you could get into or have your work displayed in a, in a museum. You can put candles over that. Some people are just supposed to use the voodoo or the hoodoo or your practice to just get better in your craft. Uh, to end up in certain rooms, just to make you a better medium and channel. And I cannot stress this enough. Artists, if you are listening, you are artists, you are a medium. You are a channel. You are a channel for spirit. Spirit works and moves through artists. I believe artists is going to get us free. <laughs> so this is my encouragement to you 
as the artist, whether you are a singer, a painter, a writer, a storyteller, a photographer, a sculptor, a jewelry maker, you're, you do hair, you're a hair artist, a poet, a writer, whatever you are, be that channel. Let your ancestors or whatever honorable spirits that are walking with you use you. Because when you allow yourself to be used, you will make the best art. And I don't want y'all to overthink it or think that, oh, I can't get in this space. I can't. No, you're a medium. You're a channel. Use your juju to do what you got to do. Let the voodoo show up in your paintings. Let it open the doors, as Morgan Monsu said. Allow it to make you the artist that you're supposed to be. Tell the stories that you're supposed to be. Tell the stories about your community. Tell the stories about your family and your work. Tell the story about yourself and your experiences. We need that. We need you. I don't want to go on a tangent. I feel like I seriously could go on a tangent right now. But that is the main point that stuck with me after reading this publication. And I'm very curious of, you know, the things that y'all may feel or think about when reading this, but I just wanted to uplift that work, uplift that publication, uplift that uh, story in general, that dialogue. I encourage folks to check it out, to read, listen, sweetie, but also check out Scroll for a tender thing in general. Um, that again was put together by Iris Lee, Jenna Porter, and Shan Wallace. And um, thank you, Shan, again for for sharing that with me. I always appreciate when y'all share stuff and be like, you should read this or it would be interesting to talk about this. I can't get through everything because y'all send me a lot of things, but it's nice. It's good for me to have on hand. So thank you. Thank you. And I hope you all enjoyed. What are we calling this? We're calling this Words of Spells. Right. Words of Spells. <laughs> all you need is a little juju. Ooh, I know you all are enjoying this wonderful show, but I got some tea I got to share with y'all. Okay, so there's this brand, right? Kismet meets Karma, and it's a spiritual supply store selling items such as spiritual oils and ritual and manifestation boxes, where everything you need for a successful working is in one box. Each product is handmade with focused intent and powerful magic. So if you want to add an extra boost to your rituals, or you just want to hear your spirit guides and ancestors a little more clearly, you can head on over to www.etsy.com slash shop slash kismet meets karma. That's K-I-S-M-E-T meets karma. And you can use code JUJU15 for 15% off of your order, which we love. All right, y'all. All of that will be in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. All you need is a little juju. Okay, so I'm super excited to talk about this next woman because first of all I'm surprised it's taken me this long to talk about Marie Laveau although I'm not really that surprised because I feel like when it comes to popular spiritualists when it comes to Babbage witches respectfully everyone kind of has heard a lot of people have heard of who Marie Laveau is whether you are in voodoo or hoodoo or you practice in ATR ADR um You've, you you may be familiar with Marie Laveau, even if it's just from American Horror Story, um, who, <laughs> you know, Angela Bassett played Marie Laveau in American Horror Story. But she's very popular. So I've tried to talk about, I think, other spiritualists that maybe have less recognition before I talked about Marie Laveau, but it's time to talk about Marie Laveau because maybe it's Marie Laveau. Okay. So 
I'm pulling my information from different sources. Primarily, it is from the Britannica. There's a bio of Marie Laveau on the Britannica. And I'm also pulling from one of my favorite books ever that was uh, compiled or at least edited by Toni Morrison called The Black Book. And I've talked about The Black Book on here. It's just about black culture, all things black. But there are chapters. There's a full chapter on juju shit, charms, mojos, hoodoo, voodoo, all of that. So there's a story, there's some stories and there's some lore about Marie Laveau. So I'm pulling from both of those. Now, the Britannica seems to have more factual information or things that we know. The Black Book is labeling them as, you know, stories that people say about Marie Laveau. So we don't know if they actually happened or not. Some things were both in the Britannica and in the Black Book, but I'll try to go through and be like, okay, so I got this from the Black Book, so this is lore. Or I got this, you know, from the Britannica, this is this is facts. Now, I will also say I am not the Marie Laveau expert. I know a lot of people have dedicated a lot of their time and energy to research who Marie Laveau is because she has such a fascinating life. She's a fascinating woman. And we just love the Juju ladies. But naturally, like a lot of people who were Juju women or just Juju people in general, their their stories are, you know, largely rooted in tales. We don't know the truth. We don't know who they was fucking, you know, we don't know where the kids came from. Well, there's always, you know, just a bunch of secrets and things. So take everything with a grain of salt that you hear today. And, and I definitely encourage folks to do their own research because regardless of how popular and popping Marie Laveau is, it's still good. Like it's still a good, she has an interesting story. So let's get into Miss Laveau. Okay. So she was a free mulatto and I'm using the terms mulatto. Maybe I'll say octoroon and all of that later. Um, because that's the language that folks were using at the time. And a lot of the literature that I'm pulling from use terms like that. So mulatto is a term that is archaic. We don't typically use that word. It is also seen as offensive for many people, but it is typically like a white parent and a black parent. That is a mulatto. So she was a free mulatto born in New Orleans in the 1700s, about 1796. You know, records and things, you we don't always know, but it was around 1796. Things, depending on what you look up, she was born in different years. And they said they had she had an African mother and a French father. And because she was a mulatto woman born in about the 1700s, she was a beautiful woman. She had a beautiful figure. She was very attractive. And of course, she was probably very attractive. Also, we're thinking about colorism, honey. We're thinking about what it means to be beautiful around that time. Beauty standards in New Orleans being, quote unquote, mulatto was cute, right? So she's already cute, a cutie, a cutie patootie, right? And it's Creole. So again, when we talked about Creole, having this mix of ancestry, this French ancestry, this African ancestry, potentially some Spanish ancestry, um, possibly some native ancestry, whatever. So in her like early 20s, she married in like around 1814 to Jacques Pelly, who 
died in 1826. Now, I believe, I didn't make a note of this. I believe this person was a black, no, he, I believe he was actually another mulatto man. Don't quote me. Um, but he had a, she had a daughter in 1827 who was named Marie. It was very common to name your child Marie or names like that, particularly in the Catholic tradition. Marie Laveau was Catholic. I believe she was born into a Catholic family. A lot of people in New Orleans were Catholic at this time. So you're naming your children Catholic names. You're naming them after saints. But I think it was very common to name the girl or like the first girl and stuff, Marie, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Y'all know I be knowing little tidbits, little random tidbits that ain't even in my notes. So she had her daughter in 1827. Now, child, the T is, we don't know if the the, the, the daughter was by Jack A, Jack A. Pelly, or if the daughter was by Jean-Louis Christophe Dumenin de Glapion. Okay? We don't know. But it's none of our business. She had a baby by somebody, child. And I don't think she ever married Jean-Louis Christophe Dominique de Clapion. But she started messing with him, right? But they had a lot of kids together at one point. They had several children. Now, a lot of those children ended up dying because there was various yellow fever outbreaks that plagued New Orleans in that time due to uh, a poor drainage system. So she actually lost a lot of her children. Not many grew to be adults, so, you know, she grew up, she got her kids, boop, 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 she Catholic, she chilling, she got her nigga. So she was a hairdresser by trade. And again, remember, she's Creole. So there are certain, there are some kinds of privileges that come with that. So she was kind of able to move throughout different spaces as a Creole woman, also a beautiful woman, and as a hairdresser. So a lot of women would come in, white women would come in, affluent customers would come in, get their hair done, and also black women or black women that worked for her. And the black women who came in and got their hair done or who worked for her were often also house servants for wealthy white people. So basically, Marie Laveau used to get the tea. Okay, she used to get the tea because she's doing these coiffed white women's hair. She's also working with black women who are house servants of the white people. So those people have the tea. So she's a hairdresser. All my hairdressers get the, hairdressers still get the tea. So Marie Laveau ain't no different. She's getting the tea. But she's getting like real tea. Like what the what the governor doing? I don't think governors are, you know, but what the, what the rich wealthy merchants are doing. And so she kind of was able to create a safe space for a lot of people to just kind of talk they shit. So secrets were shared um, and, and wealthy clients sought her for a quote unquote counsel and advice. And cause they trusted her. She was, she was probably giving them good advice. Like, Oh, well, honey, well, I feel like you should tell so-and-so that um, you shouldn't make that business deal because you know, she's, she's doing all of that. And on top of that, she might be doing a little juju. Okay. Doing a little. Mm-mm-mm. Now, it was said that she. Hold on, let me find that in my notes because. Okay, yes. So it is said that she was also being trained 
uh, well, she was under the tutelage of Dr. John Bayou, who was a, a well-known Senegalese root worker at the time. So she was getting trained up in juju. And there's also reported, we don't know if this is true, that she was a granddaughter to a powerful priestess in St. Domingue. So she had familial, uh, she had roots in particularly African spirituality. And they say she kind of got more into voodoo and went under the tutelage of Dr. John Bayou after the passing of her mother. Now that's what the, the Britannica says. According to the black book, it says that she actually got into voodoo after her first husband died, Perry. We don't know, but probably after someone passed, she got more into voodoo. Now, what's also alleged, this is a a story, a tale, is that she was a procurist for white men's pleasure, connecting them to quadroon and octoroon girls. So what am I saying? Okay, so for those of you who need a refresher, quadroon is being one quarter black. And an octoroon is being an eighth black, quad, four, oct, eight. So one eighth black would mean you're white, but you got black grandparent or something like that. Or a quadroon would be you are maybe have primarily white ancestry, but you have a black, your, your mother is half black or something like that and white and everyone else is white. Is that right? I think that's right. I think that's right. But so, you know, again, she was working in a hairdresser. She was working with a lot of different kinds of women. She was very well connected in the community. And she was also connected to other Creole people, um, folks that look like her, octoroons, quadroons, and because she was also connected to the wealthy folks, she would kind of do a little, you know, so what's up? Like you, you want to talk to, you know, Miss, 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 other Miss Marie. So she was kind of, I'm not going to say she ran a brothel, but it gives me brothel vibes and that, and that was not uncommon during the time. That was not, that was not uncommon during the time. So this is, this was a legend. She also did that. So she also made money, not just from doing hair and counseling wealthy folks, but also hooking up wealthy white men with an, with octoroon women and quadroon women. So, um, as she's growing in status, as people are seeing her and trusting her with, they're getting advice from her. She kind of, you know, she was creating a name for herself. So she kind of became the voodoo queen from that. Just from, she was probably doing a little protections for people, making sure that they're safe. All you need is a little juju. And so she kind of took over, um, I think the name is Senit Dede who was the current voodoo queen. So there were multiple voodoo queens before Marie Laveau. She is not the first. There were people who were put into that place by the community, by the voodoo community. So Sanit Dede Dede was the voodoo queen that 
was there before Marie Laveau, Marie Laveau took over. So one of the things that got people really swirling around Marie Laveau was, this is a, a story, this is a lore, but that she did, this is true, she did live in a shanty in Lake Pontchartrain. I know the New Orleans folks are like, girl, the way you are butchering, I'm sorry, y'all. But she lived in a shanty in Lake Pontchartrain. And there was a hurricane, and the hurricane shook up her home and tore it from its foundation. So she sought safety on the roof. So she got on the roof of her home. And when, you know, people were coming to get her, like, Marie, we got you. Come down. She's like, no. The 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 voodoo, the god of the, the hurricane or the god of the water wants to take me home. Like, I'm just going to go home. It's fine. I'm good, y'all. Don't try to save me. Eventually, they were like, girl, no. Get down, please. We need you. You're the queen. You're that girl. So she was like, okay, okay. So she gets down and it was like, it said that once she laid foot on land, the hurricane stopped. The waters just stopped. Like it just, it was like immediately once she got down from the roof, the storm calmed. And so the lore is once that happened, it was like, oh no, this bitch, this, this, this bitch really different. (laughs) This bitch really different. Um, there's another story of Marie Laveau that she, so, so the son of a, a wealthy merchant in New Orleans was connected to a crime that everyone knew he didn't commit, but it was like, he got in a little, he got in a little tussle with some other people in the community and they lied on him. They went to the, the police, tried to get him arrested, said that he was in connection to things he wasn't connected to. And so the father, who was the wealthy merchant, came to Marie Laveau because, you know, she got the, the counsel. She's she's doing the little juju behind the scenes. And he's like, Miss Marie Laveau, please help me. I, I need my son cannot be convicted of this. We know he's innocent. So Marie was like, oh, I got y'all. So the, the story goes that she went to the local church, um, Catholic church, I believe, a basilica. And she prayed with three guinea peppers in her mouth. They're hot as hell, by the way, for an hour. So she sat and she kneeled in the basilica. She had three guinea peppers in her mouth and she chewed them and she's praying. She's praying that he's protected. She, he's praying that she's praying he's not convicted. She's praying that he doesn't go to jail. She's praying all this. So after she did that for an hour, mouth is probably on fire, baby. Okay. But she's spitting those prayers. She goes, she gets access to the courtroom where they're going to have the trial. So she gets access to there. She puts the chewed guinea peppers that she has in her mouth. She didn't swallow them. She's chewing them. She spits them out and puts them under the judge's bench. Long story short, the man was found not guilty. Now, it's very wild that the man was found not guilty because there's all these receipts. There's evidence. The people who set this guy up are probably in cahoots with the judge. Like, everybody knew this man ain't do it, but, but the, the, he going. There's nothing, he can't prove he wasn't there. He didn't do it. And child, that man was found not guilty. So the merchant was like, oh my God, Marie, <laughs> you're that girl, like for real. So this was another example of Marie Laveau being that bad bitch, which that she is. And so the merchant got her a cottage on St. Anne Street near Congo Square. And so this is the home of her descendants until 1903, which I believe that's when it was tore down, or I think it was tore down. 
So she lived there. People know about the house on St. Anne Street. That's kind of where they place um, Marie Laveau. And it, because it was near Congo Square. So she got that house. The story is because that wealthy merchant bought her that house because she did the juju around it. Now, I'm going to pause here and just say that chewing hot pepper is a way to amplify prayers in hoodoo tradition, in voodoo tradition. That is something that you can do. So I know in these days, it's probably going to be hard to get things under judge benches. There's a lot more, you know, security when it comes to accessing courtrooms. Um, but outside of doing law work, chewing peppers and saying your prayers and saying your intention while something hot is in your mouth is a way to heat up the prayer is a way to heat up the intention. So that's just a little juju tip. Don't say, I don't tell y'all nothing evil. Okay. Now I ain't saying chew no guinea peppers cause I don't know how your tongue is. I can't really do spicy that much, but sometimes I, when I think about it, if I have some hot sauce or something and my mouth is really hot, I'm like, well, let me pray over something I need child. <laughs> something I need to have some heat. Okay. Anyway, back to queen Laveau. So the interesting thing too about Marie Laveau is because again, remember she was born Catholic and a lot of people in New Orleans are Catholic, believe in Catholicism, but voodoo, New Orleans voodoo is this, this merging of Catholicism, the merging of voodoo from Benin, the merging of voodoo, Haitian voodoo, um, all in one beautiful merging thing to make voodoo and voodoo kind of becoming its own religion, its own way of life, its own practice through the merging of all of these. All you need is a little juju. So hold on, hold on. I had to stop the show. I know it was getting good, but there's some more important work that I have to tell you all about um, genuinely. And it is the work that Guided Cycles is doing. So Guided Cycles offers death ceremonies, death planning, vigils, grief rituals, ancestral medicine guidance, and a variety of different trainings and classes. So to learn more about this, you can visit www.guidedcycles.org, or you can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram under the same name, Guided Cycles. Okay, tap in if you're interested, and now we can get back to the show. All you need is a little juju. Now... As a side note, we had folks in Louisiana who were brought during the slave trade from Benin. A lot of folks being from Benin in New Orleans in like around 1700s, mid-1700s, late 1700s. We have folks who were part of the Haitian Revolution coming to Louisiana, finding refuge. So we have folks practicing African voodoo. We have Haitian folks coming practicing voodoo, voodoo. So there's a lot of mixing. And then we have the strict European laws of all y'all niggas got to be Catholic at the end of the day. And so we always see how our ancestors have found a way to do the juju, even if it means we're incorporating it, we're putting it into the saints and okay, these are deities. I know my deities. I can align them with the saints. These saints kind of match up what I know. This saint does this. I had a, a deity in voodoo that did this. Let's synchronize them. So voodoo is a synchronization of a lot of different traditions. And Marie Laveau really kind of was a part of 
I won't say making it mainstream, but she maybe even just popularized voodoo in a way that it wasn't before. People did practice voodoo, but people knew who Marie Laveau was and strict Catholics, white people, poor people, black people, Creole people, mixed people knew what voodoo was a lot because of what Marie Laveau was doing. And she was doing it very publicly in particular ways. We'll get into that. So she was pretty much kind of unquestioned in her voodoo and it kind of contributed to the normalcy of New Orleans voodoo because of what she was doing. So she was holding public celebrations in Congo Square. And Congo Square was where black folks, free blacks, and I, I believe enslaved too, were able to dance. They were able to do ritual. They were able to just breathe. They were able to drum. That Congo Square was like, they had, that was, they were allowed to go to Congo Square, I believe on like particular days, maybe on Sundays or something like that. My historians, please forgive me if that's not correct. And feel free to correct me, but they would go and they would pray and they would praise and they would emote and they would get real African about their, their spirituality and their practices. They were allowed to do that at Congo Square. So she would hold public celebrations that were, you know, voodoo based there. Now, these were not the main voodoo rituals that she was doing, but a lot of folks, wealthy folks, white folks would come and it was almost a spectacle to people. Like, of course, to the black folks, that's where they're like emoting and crying and singing and dancing and clapping. But sometimes I was reading the text and it was like, it would be more white people in Congo Square than black people because everyone just wanted to come and see what Marie Laveau was about to do, what these other black folks were about to do, what they're about to wear, what they're about to sing, what they're about to chant. Like it it was a spectacle to people. Although for us, meaning black people, it was a way to release. Um, So she was holding those kinds of ceremonies and doing things there, but she really was doing a lot of the real juju, the real voodoo behind the scenes. So a lot of that work was happening in her lake, um, Poncho Juan Child, whatever it was called, the the Lake Poncho Train. She was doing the rituals there. And sometimes people would sneak and see what was going on in the voodoo rituals. They would say she was like, she had the power to, call on snakes and she was calling on particular deities that moved through snakes and the snakes would move when they told her to move and they didn't bite her and just doing all these things that people think would it's just unrealistic and and powerful so there's all these different tales of what Marie Laveau was doing at that Lake Pontrain house honey she wasn't really doing all that at, at Congo Square she did a little juju but with the real practitioners and followers and her people she was doing that at the lake house so she pretty much reigned unchallenged as the voodoo queen there was a couple little people that came up and it was like oh is this the new voodoo queen and it was like no girl (laughs) marie's that girl but it wasn't until 1850 another creole woman named rosalie she attempted to challenge marie laveau's position as the voodoo queen so rosalie you know to kind of to show the girls that she's actually the more popping one, she put this huge life-size wooden doll in her yard that was said to have been imported from Africa. And it was had an interesting face. It had beads on it. It had jewels on it. Just imagine this very tall figurine in somebody's yard. And people are walking by. It's looking real juju-y. It's looking real voodoo-y. It's looking real 
It's looking real African. And people are like, ooh, oh, she might be the Juju Queen, honey. Did y'all see Rosalie? Rosalie got this big old thing. It got beads on it and it got a face on it. It's painted all up and it's all intricate and carved. And Marie said, ah, oh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, I'm still the Voodoo Queen, honey. So the story goes that one day when Rosalie was gone, Either Marie or one of Marie's people took the whole statue out of her yard and put it in Laveau's yard. And Rosalie came home and was like, where the, uh, and you know, where on the street is, you know, she's trying to figure out what happened. And she's like, where on the street is that, that doll was in front of Miss, uh, Marie Laveau's house. So Rosalie said, uh-uh, now, now this bitch is a thief. <laughs> so she takes Marie Laveau to court. She's like, the judge. She stole my doll, which she did. And well, y'all know the judge found Miss Laveau not guilty <laughs> because somehow Marie Laveau proved that the doll was actually hers first. <laughs> and so ever since that, Rosalie had to step down. The girls that knew not to challenge Miss Laveau. So... Another story was that the doll was just permanently removed. Marie Laveau didn't keep it, but the doll was permanently removed. Whatever it was, they they couldn't. Miss Rosalie, she 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 was no match. Okay, so she reigned as the queen for about forty years, and she was dethroned in her seventies in about eighteen sixty nine. Um, and in her later years, and as an elder, she kind of became a spiritual advisor and she returned to the Catholic church. Now I'm saying return. Y'all can't see me, but I'm using air quotes because she may not have ever left the Catholic church. We don't know. Um, she was always Catholic. She always went to church. They said she would go to to mass almost every day. So the language of her returning to the church is different, but it was the story goes that she didn't practice voodoo much anymore. After in her later years, she just was a strict Catholic girl. She just went to church. She prayed. She was just an elder Catholic woman, but she became a spiritual advisor to the incarcerated. So she would pray with people in jail. Um, she would make them meals and she would also create like little altars for them. So altars of the Virgin Mary that she would put in their cells and, you know, allegedly leaving voodoo behind and was seen as sort of a holy Catholic woman. And I think there was an interview with her daughter or someone who was like, yeah, in, the, in her later years, she really was not doing the voodoo shit. <laughs> like, she was fully Catholic. But do we know? I can't imagine that you were a voodoo queen for 40 years and then you just stop. But actually, as I'm saying that, it's possible. It's possible. But she still was kind of, she still had power, regardless of what religion you have. If you have juju, you have juju. So whether that juju shows up when you're a strict Catholic or you're a voodoo sign or whatever, it's going to show up. So in her later years after she did, or yeah, while she was a spiritual advisor, she moved to Algiers. And Algiers is where, new, I believe that's where they say voodoo was founded. New Orleans voodoo was founded. Um, and it was where enslaved Africans were first brought to New Orleans. They went through Algiers. It was the founding place of voodoo. And there, I believe in Algiers, actually, don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if she died in, in Algiers, but she died in 1881. She died in 1881. Um, 
so that's what I that's what I'm gonna share today about Marie Laveau. There's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more. There could be episodes and episodes and episodes on Marie Laveau. But that is what I picked up on and just some interesting stories that I wanted to share with you all. And there's there's one other thing that I want to share from the black book as well. Uh, I forgot. I wanted to read a part from the black book that was about a voodoo, a ceremony that Marie Laveau did because she would allow sometimes reporters to come sometimes. So she, she was a publicity queen. Honestly, I stand. But this is a, a report from the Times. It's the New Orleans Times. This is March 21st, 1869, describing a meeting of voodoos at the Lake Chapel in which the central figure was a young white girl who had chosen this method of regaining the affections of her lover. Most of the celebrants were women, with a few quadroon men, and each carried a burning brand. Said the Times, These women were all dressed elaborately, some of them in bridal costumes and with an extraordinary regard for the fineness and purity of their linen. At one end of the chapel, a corpse was exposed. The rites having been commenced, an elderly turbaned, turbaned female dressed in yellow and red, Marie Laveau, ascended a sort of days and chanted a wild sort of fetish song to which the others kept up an accompaniment with their voices and with drum-like beat of their hands and feet. At the same time, they commenced to move in a circle while gradually increasing the time. As the motion gained in intensity, the flowers and other ornaments disappeared from their hair and their dresses were torn open and each conducted herself like a bachanti. Or like a banshee, honey. Everyone was becoming drunk and intoxicated with the prevailing madness and excitement. As they danced in a circle in the center of which stood a basket with a dozen hissing snakes whose heads were projecting from the cover, each Cory Banty touched a serpent's head with her brand. In the midst of this Saturnalia of witches, the pythonness of this extraordinary dance, dance and revel was a young girl with bare feet and costume and chemise. In one hand, she held a torch and with wild maniacal gestures headed the band. In this awful state of nudity, she continued her ever increasing frantic movements until reason itself abandoned its earthly tenement. In a convulsive fit, she fell. She finally fell, foaming at the mouth like one possessed. And it was only then that the Mad Carnival found a pause. The girl was torn half dead from the scene, and she has never yet been restored to her faculties. This was the last voodoo ceremony over which Marie Laveau presided for some two months later on June 7th, 1869. The voodoos held a meeting in the chapel at Lake train and dethroned her on the ground that she was well over 70 and too old to perform the duties of her high post and crowned Malvina Latour as the new voodoo queen. I thought that that was an interesting story <laughs> and wanted to tell that story. Um, maybe a ceremony gone wrong. We don't know. Also, we got to be careful white people telling our stories, you know, or people who are not in a tradition telling the stories about a tradition because it'd be all convoluted and wild. You know, we don't know if the girl never came back to her senses but she could we don't know but that apparently allegedly was the last ceremony that Marie Laveau provided because they said she was too old um let me also say that Marie Laveau is buried well based on my research people are not sure that that is where she is buried but 
They say she's buried in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 in New Orleans. And each year, visitors come and they give her spiritual regalia, candles, money, flowers, personal items, etc. I was reading somewhere else that actually Marie Laveau's tomb or where she's buried is not accessible anymore because I saw that there were a lot of people who were um, like... trying to demolish it or vandalizing it. That's the word. They were trying to vandalize it and they would vandalize it with paint and put things on it and try to desecrate her, her plot. So I'm not sure if it's still accessible, but I have heard and know of people who have went to Marie Laveau's tomb and you know, they leave her candles and money and ask for her blessings. And apparently like if you get what you wanted, you're supposed to go back and give her, you know, more of an offering. Um, I actually think that it is open, so I'm not quite sure. I, I did read that it may be protected or you can only go to her grave in like a guided tour. I'm not sure. I would be very interested to go to Marie Laveau's tour. I know everyone goes, Marie Laveau, poor thing, everybody's asking for her blessings. She's probably tired. <laughs> Marie Laveau is probably very tired. But if you're looking for another person who could probably bring you some kinds of blessings that potentially Marie Laveau could bring you. Um, I will revisit my episode about Mary Ellen Pleasant and I'm not going to talk about who she is here because this is about Marie Laveau, but she was maybe a friend, probably a friend to Marie Laveau. Uh, So I'll put that in the show notes to learn more about Mary Ellen Pleasant. But anyway, so that is the story of Marie Laveau. We stand her, um, very interesting story. Lots of lore, lots of things that we think are true, don't know are true. I think a lot of it probably is true, but something had to have been true to reign and be in a position for 40 years. She had to be that bitch. That's all I'm saying. All you need is a little juju. But I hope you all enjoy. For those of you listening who may be like Marie Laveau stands, because she's literally has a cult following and she's been dead. Um, feel free to send me some things to my email. I'll be like, oh my God, can you do another episode about this? Or how did you feel about this? Um, or I heard this. Um, I'm, I'd be super interested. But yes, that is that is the story of Miss Marie Laveau, Voodoo Queen. We stand. Thank you all so much for tuning into another episode of A Little Juju Podcast. If you would like to reach out to me all for Reiki, potentially a group reading, if you have some coins for me, honey, hit me up on my website, itsjujube.com, and reach out. If you want to find me on the social medias, you can find me on IG at ITS. There's only one page. I ain't got no underscores. I ain't got no dots. I ain't got no L Juju page. It's a whole bunch of fake things. I ain't got no other pages. The only other page I have is at a little juju podcast spelled out just how it sounds on IG. I'm also on Twitter, kind of at it's Juju Bay as well. Um, I appreciate you all. I thank you all. I love you all. And I will see you all next week. We got a little back-to-back vibe going. Remember, remember, remember. All you need is a little juju. Happy end of November. My spirit's surrounded, so I'll never try, try.